0: We're going to get ready to take our Bibles. We're going to go over to Acts chapter 4 to start this evening. If you would like notes, the ushers do have notes. Someone said I, I almost kept up with Pastor Bergraff this morning. Um, so I'll, I'll take that as a compliment if I can talk that quickly, um, but fast. But uh, we'll, we'll try and do a little bit more tonight. Uh, going with some of the similar topic, talking and uh, trying to wrestle through some of the, the questions that arise when we deal when we deal with the topic of homosexuality, uh, even even this morning, as we were talking through and working through what does the Bible say, how does the Bible deal with this topic uh, and hopefully as as we were going through the morning, you began to see. That God does deal with this topic. God deals with it very clearly. Uh, though the critics want to, to confuse us, they want us to, to try and trip us up, we can walk through the passages of Scripture and understand the Bible does clearly lay out a, a biblical theology of, of sexuality and of homosexuality, even in regard uh, to that. Now, the question I have at the top of your notes there is, what do we do when government oversteps God's word? What, what happens if we get to the point here is already is uh, being introduced into legislation in Connecticut and in Massachusetts, hate speech, where, where a message that I preached this morning would have been considered hate speech and worthy of criminal uh, prosecution. What do we do at that point? And, and that question actually comes up in the Bible in Acts chapter 4. If you remember, Pentecost has just happened. And as, as the disciples are working through and they're, they're beginning to share the gospel, uh, and it's, it's taking Jerusalem by storm. And as, as they get to a point where they, they get to a point where the Jews are beginning to look at the disciples, especially Peter and, and John, and they're saying, "No, you, you, no more, don't, don't preach this gospel anymore. You can't do it. you need to stop, stop, stop doing this." Down in Acts chapter four, verse 18, it says, uh, "And they called them, and they commanded them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, "Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, you judge." For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and we have heard. So when they further threaten them uh, and they let them go, finding how much more they punish him because of the people, for all the men glorified of what was done. Now, if you if you go over to Acts chapter five, this is going to continue. The church is going to continue to grow. They're they're standing up, even though there's beginnings of some persecution and some pushback by the by the locals, so to speak. Acts chapter five, verse twenty-eight. Uh, we we had that familiar verse that, that many of us know, um, saying straightly, uh, they commanded them at the end of verse 28, you filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intended to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. And we get to a point where in our, in our lives, we must be committed. Do we have, we've been talking with the teens, uh, convictions, convictions. Not just, I mentioned to the teens the other night that we have, oftentimes in our lives, we have strong convictions on weak issues. We we look at items like the the football teams or or basketball teams. We we have strong, passionate opinions on that. But when it comes to two major issues in our life, do we have strong convictions? We need to have strong convictions on, on major issues, not just strong convictions on weak issues. And when we look at what happens when the church and the state do collide, and it, I, I trust that as you look at our culture and you look at where we stand as a church, as, as biblical believers, you can see some of that beginning to take place, that, that that could potentially collide more and more. We have a responsibility to have strong convictions. Convictions are those beliefs that we hold so deeply that we will allow it to affect our lives, that we will move upon them, that we will act upon them. Tonight when we talk about the gospel, getting the gospel out, we say it's a conviction, but do we act upon it? Do we let that affect our lives? Or we're just like, well, you know, if the gospel gets out, hopefully the missionaries do it. Or do we look and say, no, that is a passionate conviction of our lives that, that we want to move forward with. It, when we look at this whole topic of homosexuality and where we're at in our culture, the, the question I often ask is, how did we get here? How did, how did we get to this place? It didn't, this, this topic just didn't pop up with the issue of gay marriage. There has been, a, there has been a, a slide that has been a moral slide in America that has been happening for decades. And, and we could take the time to look back. We're, we're not going to do that this morning. But I think one of the, when we look at some of the ways we, we got there, we got there through a shallowness or an unwillingness to preach and to teach on the topic of sexuality and homosexuality in both the church and the home. I am very thankful that the heritage of our church here, Faith Baptist Church, has not been that. That we have a pastor who is willing to preach and tackle the tough topics. To deal with it and to look and say, here's what the Bible says in regard to these topics. But as a whole across America, and for some of us growing up in church, I, I never heard a topic on this other than when we touched Sodom and Gomorrah growing up. You know, we just made, the pastor would make some crass, inappropriate comment about the gays, and, and he would go off on that. And it was not appropriate. And, and we look at it and we say, how do we get there? We often get there by an unwillingness to talk about it. In fact, some recent stats coming out from the Barner Research Group say that 64% of Americans believe their mother and their father did a poor job educating them about sex. And, and beyond that, 57% of Americans say that they feel uncomfortable talking to their children about sex. Folks, if it's not going to be the parents, who's, going to, who's it going to be? If it's not going to be Christian parents, who, who's going to be educating our adults, our young adults, our teens, our children? And, and I understand that the reason that we look at that sometimes is, is because we say, well, we don't want to corrupt their innocence. Well, I, wanna, I want my children to know what the Bible says before their innocence is corrupted by the world and by other people. I, don't, I, I know that there's a potential of embarrassment. You're talking about your body. You're talking about the, the relationship that you have or they may have. But we have to look and say, we have to talk about some of these issues. And you know, If we're going to look and wait for them to ask the question, whatever that particular question may be, it can be too late. Now, the question is, is it ever too late? I would argue no. If you've got a 17, 18-year-old and you've never actually sat down with them and talked to them biblically about sexuality, you need to do it. Is it going to be awkward? And they'll probably be oh, yeah, I know. We already talked about it in the locker room. That very well could be the case. But we have a biblical responsibility to, to be sharing about that. How else do we get there? There's a lack of commitment, and I believe this is growing in America, a lack of commitment to biblical authority. The whole message this morning, my goal was not to persuade anybody that homosexuality is a sin. It's not my job. Because the biblical authority is very clear that homosexuality is a sin as per God. It's not my job to persuade you of that. It's our job to, to look and say, this is what the Bible says. If I'm committed to the authority of scripture, then I must allow that to impact my life. So we have to be committed to it. And then how else does this happen? Culture. And even some church members have been hijacked by the LGBT agenda. Now, I, I know what some of you are probably thinking right now. Come on, Pastor Art, really. There's, let's not get into conspiracies. Let's not get into there's an agenda out there that is driving America that is sweeping us away. There is, there is a truth to that. And we can look at it and we can understand it. In fact, we'll just, let's just take a few moments here and look and say, you know, there's been, honestly, there's been a strategy for millennia for thousands of years, trying to pull us away from traditional family values, trying to pull us away from purity, trying to pull us away from holiness. And Satan has been working through the, through the thousands of years to get that to happen. And now this is exponentially increasing and increasing. And, and how do we deal with it? There's a book that's called After the Ball. It was written in 1989 by uh, Marshall Kirk and Hunter Mattson. It's, it's literally entitled, How America Will Conquer Its Fear and Hatred of Gays in the 1990s. It has become known as what is called the Gay Manifesto. And literally, it is the playbook of how to get America from the, the late 80s, where there was still a, a taboo, so to speak, nature against looking at homosexuality, how to get it to the point where they're completely, um, that we as a culture are completely accepting of this whole dynamic. And if we look through just some of their, some of their statements, they, they said our goals are this. Um, they said, we, we want to desensitize, we want to normalize homosexuals in mainstream America. From the book, these are all quotes that are going to come from their book. They say, almost any behavior looks normal if you are exposed to enough of it at close quarters and among your acquaintances. So we want to get out. We want to make sure that we're rubbing shoulders with everybody. Coming out of the closet, letting people know that we are normal people, that we are there, that we want to do that. And, and it, let's be honest, they are, they are normal people. We have to be very careful in, in some of the ways we, we speak and we talk. We're, we're going to battle with some of this talking with them. But they wanted to desensitize and normalize. They said, we want to portray members of the community uh, as victims. We want to we come up with the idea of they are born this way. They say this, the message must read. As far as gays can tell, they were born gay. Just as you were born heterosexual or white or black or bright or af- Athletic. Nobody ever tricked or seduced them. They never made a choice and are not morally blameworthy. What they do uh, isn't willfully contrary. It's only natural for them. So they they take this idea, they take this agenda, and they begin to to pump it into society. They're saying, this is what we want people to understand about us. This is what we're trying to to get across. They go on and they say, we want to give protectors a just cause. Those people who are out there who naturally want to defend Who want to uphold a case, help somebody out? That cause was anti discrimination. They said our campaign should not demand direct support for homosexual practices, but should instead take on an anti discrimination theme. So they're looking and saying, as you as you as you look over the last twenty years, can you see these ideas playing out in America? That that's that is what is you don't you don't have to practice homosexuality, just don't discriminate against me. And they, they were playing this, this playbook, so to speak, out right through. They said this, we want to use TV, music, film, and media to desensitize mainstream America to the plight of gay people. It's, and, and, and I know as soon as, as soon as you touch on media, as soon as you touch on movies, as soon as you touch on every, half the people are like, don't, don't go there, Pastor, Art. Don't, don't do it. But what they wrote in, in some of the books, they say gay characters should be funny, attractive, and smart— The kind of characters viewers would like to be. No one should show the dark side, the dark underside of homosexuality. In fact, USA Today in 2013, they dubbed Hollywood. They said Hollywood is the best man for gay marriage. They they understood. They know they know what is happening. They they were very clear in in what they were doing. When when we look at um, number five here, it says this: they want to portray gays and lesb- lesbians as pillars in society. They want to make gays look good, and and so they said we don't want to show the dark side of the lifestyle. Those are those are their words. They understood there is a, there is a component, and for a few moments here, I'm just I'm, I'm not going to show pictures, but I am going to to get into some blunt topics here, but. They, they were really challenging to me. Like When I was reading through, it's like, if ever there was a, a moral thought, man, these, these stats, they, they're, they're challenging. For teens and young adults, you, you need to pay attention to some of these. To, to look and understand physically how some of this lifestyle can impact you, your home, your family for years to come. When we talk about STDs and now the term STI, sexually transmitted infections, not just diseases— um, there, there's some statements that came out. USA Today said this. People with the highest risk, that was, this was in just June of 2006, with the highest risk of infections, including same-sex partners, should now be tested every three months. It used to be once a year. Now you need to be tested every three months because it's so rapidly increasing. It also said in the same article, everyone can reduce their risk of STDs STIs by limiting sexual activity to a mutually monogamous relationship with a partner that does not have STDs. Hmm, novel concept. You know, now we would take it a little bit further and say in marriage to a heterosexual partner, we, we would take it there. But it's interesting that even, even the, the world is understanding that the, the lack of monogamy in the, in the LGBT community is beginning to cause great peril health-wise and physically. The CDC has just reported in 2014, well, in 2014, there were 20,000 cases of syphilis and STD up from 6,000 in 2005, Just this week, it came out on the NBC News. STDs have hit an all-time high. 1.5 million have reported chlamydia, 400,000 cases of gonorrhea, 24,000 cases of syphilis. That's staggering. And it's not going to stop. And you don't know, if you are not living a monogamously pure and holy life, and you start sleeping around with partners, and you start dabbling in this lifestyle— You have no clue who they've been with. And they're talking about the the death spiral that is occurring because of STDs and STIs that are happening in America because of the way that people with the the bisexual lifestyle now, where it used to be with HIV, they could say, well, it's traditionally in just the homosexual gay men lifestyle. But now because of bisexuality and lesbianism and and how it's all this weave is just beginning to spread. And then even people going into more traditional marriage after having been in these lifestyles, they're introducing all of these diseases throughout throughout relationships. Um, It said... um, gay and bisexual men account for many cases, but the largest number, this is from the NBC News, is among young adults and teens. Half of those STDs that we just saw occurred in people, teens, youth, under the age of 20. That's because it's either one of two things that's not happening in regard to sexuality. One, it's either not being talked about or what is being championed is saying, hey, just go out, do whatever you want, feel it out, see what happens, and go ahead. Culture needs to change. And Christ is the answer to changing the culture. The CDC reported that uh, 90% of what what is happening with some of these uh, super strains of antibiotic resistant STDs, they don't even have the drugs to stop some of these. They're calling them super viruses now. And 90% of men and 75% of women are not even showing symptoms that they have this disease. And then they're just going around and sleeping with partners and passing it on. It's the dark side of sexuality that we need to understand. And so they they look in this this book, they say once homosexuality has begun to gain acceptance, which I would argue we're already there in America, anti-gay opponents must be vilified. They need to become the villains, causing them to be viewed as repulsive outcasts of society. They they look and they, they want us to, to be the type of person, um, uh, I didn't put, the, put it up on there because it's too long of a, a quote to read, but they said, our goal is twofold. First, we seek to replace the mainstream self-righteous pride about its homophobia with shame and guilt. Second, we intend to make the anti-gay look so nasty that average Americans will want to disassociate themselves from these types. The public should be shown images of ranting homophobes whose secondary traits and beliefs disgust middle America. These images might include the KKK demanding gays be burned alive, the bigoted southern minister drooling with hysterical hatred to the degree that both look comical and deranged, take a tour of a Nazi concentration camp where homosexuals were tortured and gassed. That's from their book. That's what they're saying we need to do in order to vilify individuals like us who would look and just graciously say, and I, ought to, I believe it ought to be graciously to look and to say, according to the word of God, not according to art, according to the Bible, your lifestyle is sin. And that sin is, is going to cause a world of hurt as it already has in your life. And, and walking into the gospels, we'll talk about in a second here. I think that's why this election is important. We're at a point where, where some of these hate speech laws that are going to be coming in, If we're going to get to the point where the majority of Americans are not even allowed to legally speak out, what's going to happen to these numbers? What's going to happen to the individuals in our society? We need to look and say, okay, this is an important topic, though it's not receiving much public attention, knowing that at least one, potentially up to four more Supreme Court justices could be appointed. And we know that they're diametrically opposed when it comes to their positions on these topics. Now, when we talk about this topic, there's a lot of questions that pop up. Questions that come in that, that you're going to face in everyday, everyday conversations. I mean, for the most part, the majority of you will come in contact with, with more individuals in the lifestyle of LGBT than I will on a daily basis. As far as I know, you know none of the staff is, is in that situation. And so I'm not going to, by nature, come across that every day at work here. But many of you are. And as you face that and as you're talking about it, what are some of the, the topics, what are some of the questions that, that critics will pose? One of them is since Jesus did not specifically address the issue of homosexuality, how can we be certain he considers it sin? And as as we look at we looked at this morning, we, Jesus affirmed the law. Remember Matthew chapter 19, he stands up and he's going to he doesn't he doesn't look and cast the law aside. He comes to fulfill the law, but numbers of portions of the law he upholds. And he even is going to take that time to go back and and deal with the the aspects of marriage and gender in Matthew chapter 19, where he says, male and female created he them, and the two shall become one flesh. And we talked through that this morning. But Jesus even goes beyond it. He doesn't doesn't even just look and say, we'll just deal with, with heterosexual sex or homosexual sex. He says, we're going to take it even further. We're going to deal with lust." We're gonna deal with the matter of the heart. As you're thinking in, in your heart, that's what you have to, have to deal with. As a man thinks in his heart, Proverbs says, so is he. And as we dwell on these areas and we dwell in lust and we dwell in uh, different, different areas of our life, we have to look and say, Jesus does address the issue of lust. This was an interesting comment I brought, was, was brought up to me when I was doing some studying back in Genesis 18 and 19. Genesis 18 the Lord and two angels come to Abraham, and they're there and they're talking with Abraham. And Abraham gives worship. Seems to be a Christophany uh, present where Jesus Christ, an Old Testament uh, incarnation of Jesus Christ, in that position. The two angels are going to leave to go to Sodom and Gomorrah, and the Lord has a conversation with Abraham. And what does He say He's going to do to the city of Sodom and Gomorrah? There's going to be a destruction. So even in that case, is there not a, an Old Testament reference, but a, a reference nonetheless to a, a position where Christ takes in regard to, to homosexuality? I, and I'm not looking to, tonight when we go through these questions, I'm not looking to dive into all of them in depth. I wanna, just want to, because most of you are going to have a water cooler conversation, this is going to come up, you'd like to be able to just have a three, four minute answer. And that's, that's sort of what I'm trying to do here. With all these terms, have you wondered this now? what what term am I supposed to use? I, I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to be offensive. I want to be gracious and compassionate when I'm talking. So, so what are these terms? How do I understand them? What do they mean? The term lesbian, okay? It is a, it is a relationship. I think most of you know this, but in case we're just going to quickly, uh, it's two women having a, a sexual uh, relationship. And even beyond that, we have to understand something, that there there does come a point where even, uh, those who are in the lesbian lifestyle more particularly than the, the gay lifestyle, they will be a little bit more committed. So they might be older. And it doesn't just necessarily mean that they're in a sexual relationship, though most of the, the topics are sexual. But they will at times, they'll still say we're in a lesbian relationship, even though we're not in a, in a sexual relationship. The gay lifestyle is two men. So you have the lesbian the gay. You have bisexual. Which is an individual who feels that they are comfortable having sexual relationship with either sex, men or, or, or women. You have transgender, which is the new one that's, that's popping off, though it's been around. Transgender has this idea. It's gender identity or gender expression that differs from your biological gender. Now instantly we are forced, and with this whole topic, we are forced to learn new definitions. Trying to figure out what is gender identity, what is gender expression, what is biological gender. Very simply, uh, if I can just put it very quickly this way, biological gender is how God created you. Male and female. It's the, it's the physical parts that you have to your body. When, when, when you are born, the doctor is very easily able to go male, female. And that's your, that's your biological gender. Now, gender identity is this. It's your sense of being a man or a woman. It's how you feel. I feel I feel like a woman today, or I feel like a man. That is my gender identity. Your sexual orientation is the physical, emotional, or sexual attraction. So someone could, could say, I feel like a woman, and I want to sleep with a woman today. I feel like a man, I want to sleep, sleep with a man today. That's, that's how all of these are beginning to interwork. I came across a, across a quote that said this. Biological gender is how I was born. Gender identity is who you feel like. I don't know why that. Yeah, who you feel like. Sorry about that. And sexual orientation is who you want to go to bed with. Wrap your head around that one. But that's, that's the culture we live in. And we have to understand. So when somebody says, well, identify as a, they're talking about their gender identity. When they say, well, I, my sex is a male, they're not, they're not saying I want to have sex with the male. They're saying my biological gender is male. So, so that's some of the terms. When we look at, there's, there's a new, it's now if you look, it's LGBTQ. Uh, Q is coming on the scene more and more often, and it's the word queer. Now, most of us were, when we grew up, you didn't use that word. Because if you use that word, it was derogatory, and so so can I use that word or can I not use this word? The answer is no, you cannot use that word. You should not use that word. It is still a derogatory term unless you are functioning within the community itself. That's why Trump got in trouble with it. Well, he gets in trouble with all his tweets. But um, he said something about queer the other day in one of his tweets, and they took him to task because he's not part of the community. It's, if, you, if you look in, the, in the, let's... Uh, even though it's not the same. If you take it to, to racial identity, in in the racial communities, when we deal with, with race, is there, is there the N word? We cannot use it. But are there certain places in the country where that word is used consistently because they say that is of our community? And the answer is yes. The same thing is true with the word queer. So we should not be, that is not a word that we walk around as Christians if we want to be compassionately engaging we don't go around throwing, throwing that word out. Another cue that comes into this, though, is often sometimes the word questioning. And this is challenging. The LGBT community is saying, we want those of you who are questioning. You're struggling with your sexual identity. You're struggling with where you, where you fall in all of this. Come join us. Be part of us. We'll help you work through that. If you end up heterosexual, that's fine. But we want to be involved with you with you in this area. Um, there's, a, there's a lady named Rosario Butterfield. Some of you may have heard of her. Some of you may have not. She is a, she is a uh, recovered, she calls herself a recovered lesbian. She, she uh, was in Minnesota, grew up in the, the, the lesbian culture most of her life. She was a teacher at the University of Minnesota. Now she has, she's gotten saved She's now a pastor's wife at a, a strong evangelical church up in the uh, Milwaukee or uh, Minnesota area. And she said this, she said the most hospitable group she has ever known was the LGBT community. They were warm and welcoming. All she does now for hospitality is what she learned from that community because they welcome people in. They didn't look and say, no, you're not like us, take, take a hike. It's hard to say, but could we learn some of that? Do we, do we look at individuals? James warns us against that. If someone comes in dressed really fine and, and in really nice clothing, and, and you, you show them preference, but somebody comes in a little bit shabby and you don't show them preference. Can we do the same? We need to be individuals who are hospitable. Even if someone comes in and we can instantly, if, 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 an, if, two, if two people walked in, two men walked in holding hands, what would you do? Hi, welcome. Thanks for coming to Faith Baptist Church. So glad you would take the time to come here with us today. Or would you like to go, hey, did you see over there? Did you, did you? I know. Can you believe it? Now, I know nobody would ever do that. Probably not. Okay, yeah, we would. Okay, we have to be very careful. We need to be warm. We need to hus- be hospitable. So the question then comes in, and I alluded to it, is this a civil rights movement like that of race? When we look at it, is it, is it the same? There, there are differences, the differences of the race is part of God's plan. When, when we look through, the, God, had established, God had established this, and even in, when we get to the Tower of Babel, and races begin, and God says, you need to get out, you need to separate. It became part of God's plan. The Bible, though, unquestionably gives one pattern for human sexuality, There is is one, as we talk, one man, one woman in a monogamous relationship for this life. That is God's pattern for marriage. This is God's pattern for sexuality. Hebrews chapter 13 tells us that the bed is honorable in all things, uh, and it's undefiled within within the bounds of marriage. That is what God has established in this. Even though individuals may have different sexual orientations, we do not accept this as being the same as race. One cannot change their race. It is immutable. And we must be cautious when we look and say, well, you know, they have the rights just like these individuals have the rights. They have, we, we, we ought to be respectful, but it's not the same as a, as a civil rights movement. It is something different. Now that brings in the question, if, if there's the civil rights, and, and that, is the, that is the direction this is headed. Is it not that, that it is their rights? The question is, should government legislate morality? Should they even bother with it? Now, we have to remember, the government's involved in legislating morality. Remember Romans chapter 13, let every soul be subject unto the higher power, for there is no power but of God. You go down a little bit and it says that, uh, for the rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Wilt thou not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, for uh, thou shalt have praise of the same, for he is a minister of God to thee for good that the government is part of helping legislate and, and overseeing and moving and shaping the country in such a way that it does legislate morality. It ought to. A good government should legislate some morality. Now, the question comes in when this, when this comes up is often sexual in nature. Should the government legislate uh, in regard to, to sexuality? Um, one, one writer wrote it this way. Uh, Albert Moeller wrote in a book called We Cannot Be Silent, which is a great book on this topic. I, I recommend it highly. Uh, he said this. He said, Every government legislates morality because every law has some identifiable moral purpose. Every administrative laws and traffic ordinances have a moral agenda to ensure public safety, promote order, prevent accidents, going on and on. When someone argues that the government should not legislate morality, The limiting of specific personal behavior, especially sexual sexual behavior, is almost always the issue. Yet, the law will always legislate morality. Even if it refuses to legislate on a specific issue, it still legislates morality. Removing legislation or declining legislation is always a political act with moral implications. When it comes to legislating morality, whether the issue is sex, or some other lifestyle issue every sane stable lasting society legislates vast areas of morality even when moral issues are not made matters of legislation they remain a matter of cultural decision responsibility etc he looks and he says the government should be involved in it and it is going to happen but unfortunately what happens when it doesn't they don't legislate the way that we believe when bible and politics collide when we look and we say, what do we do? Now, one of the questions that, that when we look at the legislation that's happened with government, one of the driving forces, the, the driving statement that has been pushing this agenda is this question. Are people born gay? Are they born gay? And if so, doesn't this mean that God made them gay? Now, there there's a study that came out in August 2016 from John Hopkins University. That John Hopkins, like Donna in Maryland, the one that if you're sick, that's where you want to go to. Okay, they came out with a study just recently and they said this. There is not enough definitive scientific evidence available to suggest, not even to, to verify, to suggest that gay, lesbian, and transgender individuals are born with certain sexual orientation or gender identity. Here's John Hopkins University coming out and saying there's not scientific proof to say that individuals are born gay. They studied 3,826 sets of twins. At least one of whom in each set of twins was identifying as having SSA or being SSA, same-sex attraction. And all of, those, of all of those, they said that there was, there was a negligible amount. They actually went and they said this, based on that study, looking at it all. They said, we can say there is no reliable scientific evidence that sexual orientation is determined by a person's genes. And they're taking huge flack for that. And we get excited because we're like, yeah, there we go. We've got scientific evidence. Now, remember, we get excited when we see scientific evidence which supports us. But also in the same study, they also come out and they say, we don't know if there's even scientific evidence to prove that there's a genetic aspect to being heterosexual as well. So they're going to go to both sides of it. And and, and that's, that's going to be the case. So we have to be careful when we look and say, hey, science backs this up. Hey, science backs Because what happens when the preponderance of scientific evidence doesn't end up on our side? What happens if in 10 or 15 years, they potentially find a gene that they say, we can isolate it down to this chromosome and we say this is the genetic marker for homosexuality in an individual? Is, is that even a case? One, one writer put it this way. There's no adequate scientific evidence that exists that it suggests an individual can be born with same-sex orientation. Nevertheless, the this testimony of those struggling say they've st- struggled from early on. Um, now, there's numbers of factors, which we'll talk about in a second, as to why that may be the case. But Christians should not run from this question, he states. Biblical theology reminds us that the consequences of the fall are so comprehensive that we should expect sin to impact everything from our self-centeredness to our potential me- our molecular structure. It's a, if a biological cause or genetic link explaining same-sex attraction is ever discovered, though there, there's nothing at this time, Christians should be among the least surprised. Such a finding would certainly inform our pastoral understanding and approach to persons with same-sex orientation, because we would recognize that sin even affects our biology. Such a discovery would reveal what we will likely be a lifelong struggle of sexual interest, personal identity, and even for some who know Christ as Savior, seeking to live holy before Him. That being said, an analysis of all current adequate scientific evidence for the gay gene is is furthermore say, um, stating that there's it cannot be traced to a single gene. There, there's there's some truth to that. That if we if we ever did. And I, I don't believe it. I believe that as they're finding out continually, we're not created gay. We're not born gay. But if it it were to ever come out that they linked it, isn't that the curse? Doesn't the curse penetrate deep into our hearts in every single way? The answer is yes. It has perverted so many things in this world. The curse is deep, and that's why we have such a responsibility to help reverse the curse. Though we can't do it on our own, we take part in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, that was the, the quote I, I read from. The, the, the question then comes, okay, so, so politics is struggling. Why can't the church get on the same page? The, the quotes I read this morning, the percentages, that we as, a, as evangelicals are even battling, are where, where do we come down? Do we come down on the same issue? Uh, obviously, if we can't agree on what homosexuality is, is it a sin, is it not a sin? Uh, I believe biblically you can look very clearly as we, we laid out this morning. But does that mean that the Bible is not clear? The answer is no. The problem is not Scripture. The Word of God is uh, profitable. It's 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 inspired by God. It's been breathed out to us. It is there. It is inerrant. It is without fallibility. It is um, it is perfect. The problem is our failure to understand and obey the Scriptures. When we look at what the Bible says in regard to sexuality, when we look at what the Bible says in regard to bisexuality, homosexuality, transgender, we can take all of those topics. Our issue is our internal struggle with sin, with our selfish nature. that says, I want to do what I want to do, not what God wants to do. I want to uphold my way, not God's way. We need to understand the scripture. There was an interesting, some of the evangelicals, there's uh, a guy who, uh, his name just totally escaped me. Um, emerging church guy. Brian, Brian McLaren. I, just, I couldn't, I couldn't figure, anyway, Brian McLaren is a, he was a pastor down in Washington, D.C. He, uh, he called for a five-year moratorium that we as evangelical churches stop for five years even talking about homosexuality so that we can spend time prayer in prayer and fasting to understand what this topic is all about, what the Bible really says about it. His about two years into his, mor- his own personal moratorium, uh, the Washington Post broke a story that he must have broken his silence because he married his son to another man while he was, while he was in his moratorium. And they broke this story and says, how can this guy say he's going to take silence and yet he's going to be pro this, which they liked, because now they're saying here's a leader in, quote-unquote, some, some evangelical circles, not, not in ours whatsoever, but, but saying that, so if we can't agree on it, well, the Bible must not be clear. Hopefully you can go through after this morning and you can walk through the Bible. Say the Bible is clear on what it teaches in regard to homosexuality and sin. It is, it is sin. So should we, how, what do we do? If the Bible is clear on this, but culture is fighting against us, what do we do in relationship to those who are in the homosexual lifestyle, those with SSA or same-sex attraction? I keep putting that up there because you'll see that more and more in culture, dealing with same-sex attraction. So, so what do we do? If you're a believer, what, what are we to be doing? Well, remember back in uh, Genesis chapter 19, 18? If you, if you go back there, what did Abraham do? When he found out, did Abraham know what Sodom and Gomorrah was like it sure seems that way and on behalf of the people there though he understood the wickedness though he understood he intercedes with God he's saying but God if if we find if we find 50 if we if we can get down to 10 God will you spare them why did he want them spared he understood there was what there's wrath There's God's judgment. There's God's penalty. He wanted them spared from that. And so he begins to intercede. What are we to be doing? We ought to be on a consistent basis interceding on behalf of the LGBT community. And that just, I know, some of you are like, did he just say that from biblical intercession? We ought to be praying. We ought to be praying for the conversion of souls, for for them to be rescued out of the, the horrible pit of sin, and self-destruction. We ought to be doing that. We ought to, like Lot, in the same passage, Lot lost the moral high ground. I alluded to it this morning. But do you remember at the end of chapter 19? At the end of Genesis chapter 19, when the when the angels are looking and saying, we need to get out of here. And uh, he says, we we need to get out of the, the city. And so uh, Lot is going to uh, go and the sun... Uh, sorry, I just lost the spot there... Um, and it came past uh, verse uh, 18. He says, not, not so, my Lord. Behold, now the servant has found grace in thy sight. He's magnified me. I cannot escape to the mountains. He says, can I go over to this place? But right before that, he went, uh, it's verse 14, there it is. And Lot went and spake unto his son-in-law, which married his daughters, and said, up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his son-in-laws. They just sort of took him as a joke. How did, how did he lose this high ground? What was it that, that got to the point where his family looked and said, seriously, God, God's gonna destroy this place? What, what caused him to lose the moral high ground? I, I think there's a, a couple aspects here. When we look at, look at what happened. You have Lot who's making a choice to move for the benefit and the comfort. Remember all the way back in the story, Abraham says, I'll go this way. Lot says, I'm gonna pitch my tent towards Sodom because it's more comfortable, it's more plush, there's, there's better things there. He had a materialistic bent toward, we want the things of the world, we want this stuff, we want this stuff, we want this stuff. And he began to move toward the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. As he moves toward that the, the lifestyle, the things that are there, lots to the point where he's at the city of the gate. He's, he seems to be in a position of, of rulership. He's, he's been around. He's not just outside the city anymore. Now he's living in the city. Now he's living with the potential of having even some leadership in that city. He's now at the position where his family is looking and saying, Lot's comfortable with the world around him. He knows what the people are like, because what does he say to the angels? Get out. We got to move. We gotta, you can't stay here. This is not a good place for you. If it's not a good place for them, then why was it a good place for him and his family? And he lost that moral high ground because he became very comfortable with these issues. So much so that this family is getting married in there. They're staying around. And they don't want to leave. And I started thinking about it and started looking at my life and saying, can I lose the moral high ground in some things? If the world is promoting through media, if the world is promoting through, through things that are coming through movies and TV, do I need to guard my family's purity? The answer is yes, that's my responsibility. I was, I was completely appalled last week when I, I went to the doctor's office dealing with the leg. And I sat down, and I haven't, I haven't looked at the Sports Illustrated for for ages. And there was a whole football, you know, section there. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll look, see what I need to do for fantasy football. So I pick it up. I literally open it up and it's swimsuit stuff. And it's not even, I, I was, I, I, I looked and I felt completely ashamed at what I saw. And I'm like trying to put it away and praying that nobody, you know, when on the way out, I actually knew somebody coming out. I'm like, oh, okay. I felt, I felt guilty. And I should have, because I saw something. It's like, okay, I need to put that away. Lord, take that, you know, forgive me for even the, the fleeting thought. But then I started wondering, how many of you dads have Sports Illustrated in your house? And you're, you're okay with it. And you're like, hey, you know what? My kids are okay with it. It's not a big deal. They, they know. You know, we, we, do you take the precautions? Do you look? Do you allow something like that, a gateway pornography thing, to come into your home? Do you look and you're saying, "Hey, we're okay with watching certain movies. It's, it's not a big deal. My kids are comfortable with it." Do you even know what your teens are watching? Do you even know what they're what they're surfing? That's our responsibility. And Lot loses the moral high ground because he abdicates his responsibility as dad to be a protector, to to guard his family's purity. And we have a responsibility not just to train, but to also to guard. And families, we have that biblical responsibility. And if we continue to negate it or if we negate it, what do you think is going to happen to our kids? Where do you think they will end up? What do you think they will struggle with? Oh, not mine. They're, they're strong stalwarts of the faith. Really? We all, we all battle with those areas. What about what about Paul? What does Paul say? Remember back in in Romans chapter one, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation. And he he looks and he says, I want to graciously share. I want to to point out the gospel. I want to do that. It's a positive example. Lot was a negative one. John Piper said this, God has not called us to win elections, but to win souls and hearts and minds. He's not called us to control Congress, but to preach the gospel If we're looking and saying, this is a moral problem in America, then the answer to the moral problem in America is not this election. The answer to the moral problem in America is you and me. It is not us just saying, oh, hey, that's great. It's us getting out and sharing the gospel. It is us taking time to witness. It is us taking time to build relationships with people so that we can share with them the glorious, wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ and how it redeems and saves from wrath. That is our responsibility to, to be doing. What if you're a believer? You're here tonight and you're battling with same-sex attraction. And if you think that that is not the case, it's not true. We have individuals in our church who through times have battled with this issue of same-sex attraction. Should we, should we, should we get a brand out and, you know, we need to put a big letter, you know, SSA on their back? So that no. What are we what, are, what should we be doing? We need to understand something. If you're battling with this this sin, you need, to, you need to understand it's not just some behavior you need to change or modify. It is a sin that needs to be mortified. It needs to be put to death. Just like the battle that I would have when I when I was at that when I was at the doctor's office. The fleshly battle was going to be hey, I want to look. That is my fleshly desire. I open up the Sports Illustrated. I, I have to put that to death. I have to look and say, no, that is not something that I ought to be doing. I have a responsibility to mortify my flesh, to put it to death. The same thing is true in regard to same-sex attraction. But the question is, if you're feeling it, you know, is, what you're, is, is it sinful? If you're, if you're battling, you're looking and saying, well, I just, I wonder sometimes. Am I maybe a lesbian? Am I maybe bisexual? Am I maybe gay is is that a is that is that a sin? No to wonder about it, but to start dwelling on it to start pursuing my question in some cases is what is causing that pursuit? Is there something that you 're watching something that you 're dwelling on something that has been skewed that has caused that when when we look at when we look at stats of, of Faith, Faith, uh, Biblical Ministries out of Lafayette, Indiana, does a lot of counseling. They talk about the big, the big proponents that the people, teens and young adults, who battle and even into adults who battle with same-sex attraction. Things that things that they, the pornography, is a big driving factor. Uh, sexual abuse is a is a is a drastic amount of people that they they had sexual abuse from a, a relative or from a coworker or something like that. And, and they swing the pendulum to, to get away from it. The two, the two number one ideas that they, they have through all of their years of counseling that they go back to, that they've noticed, is the reversal of roles in the home. Where mom is more of the dominating force and dad is very passive. That that causes an obscured amount of individuals, especially in men, dealing with homosexuality. And the other, the other one they talk about is the absent father. The dad who, he might be in the home, but he has no relationship. There's no interaction. There's no loving touches. There's no, there's no kindness that is, that is being talked to. There's no teaching of godly insights. Or dads that are completely removed out of the home. It comes back to, and that makes sense, because what is God's plan for a family? husband and wife, with the, whether it's with children or without, but in that, in that relationship together, both of them for this lifetime, and it causes battles. So you're there. What if you're a parent here tonight, and you have children and teen, and you're looking at this like me, and you're, you're fearful of the world that your kids are going to grow up in. You're wondering what, by the time Zach's a senior, what is this world going to be like? What's going to be happening? What are they going to have to know about? Are we going to literally have to sit down with our kids and explain why you don't have intimate relationship with the dog? That may sound vile and gross, but are we not headed in a direction like that? That is is the, the moral slide that we are upon. If we're just going with what makes us happy, well, there's going to be that aspect that's going to come down. Pastor laid that out a few weeks ago. What do you do? You need to realize the importance of your presence in their life. And not just bringing home a paycheck, not just saying, hey, I'm there for you, but taking time to interact with your children, with your teens. The, uh, your child's health, uh, healthy sexuality, hangs on your healthy attention and teaching and touching and loving, especially father's. For both boys and girls, the development of a healthy sexuality hangs more on strong, loving, godly male figures in their life than on the women, though both are vitally important. That comes out of the faith uh, biblical ministries out of Lafayette. What else? You need to realize the importance of your presence. You need to realize the necessity of teaching on the topics of marriage, gender, and biblical sexuality. Teach early and teach often. You, you need to be engaging your kids at a young age, talking about marriage, talking in general terms about sex, talking about how God made you, the, 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 the private parts that you have. There's a, down here I have after, if anybody wants, we have a number of books that some of us as staff have used uh, to teach this one, um, this one 's been used by one of the staff members. talks about God made all of me, and it talks about your private parts in a very simple way, but for two and three year olds to start teaching them about gender, to start teaching them about sexuality a book a book called god 's design dealing with with gender questions, dealing with marriage, dealing with very simple aspects of sexuality going through so there 's a number of number of them and then when you get to that point where you 're looking and saying What do I teach my kids? How and when? I just was handed this book this morning I read over half of it this afternoon because I couldn't put it down. It's really really good. How and when to tell your kids about sex. And it gives you by the different age grades. By ages, what are some things you can teach them? What What are some levels to be teaching your children at? We need to be teaching... Teaching them. There's some other ones I have down here on modesty. One that I have for uh, you're an engaged couple. What what happens now? Where where are you at? And uh, it talks about some of that. So some books to look at down there afterwards. That I'd encourage you as parents, take take a take a look at. Find resources. Ask. But start teaching. Don't wait. Don't wait for them to ask a question. You know we we had a we had, we've had two interesting topics with with Zach recently. Zach looked at Sharon the other day and said. Where do babies come from? Ha, there it is, the question. And, and we're like, well, they come from mom. Okay. No, 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 no. Not so much where do they come from, mom. How did they get there? I'm glad it was you and not me. <laughs> no, no. She, and she handled it very nice. And she just talked about, you know what? This is, a, this is a miracle that God does. And it's something that God specially placed within a mom that allows her to have a baby. And he was like, oh, okay. And he, we didn't need to have the talk. And, and honestly, that concept of the talk needs to go by the wayside. We need to have multiple conversations throughout the years with, with our children. We, Zach and I were, on Tuesday, I went duck hunting. And we were sitting in a blind. And there's an individual who I've been witnessing to for a couple years here. And uh, he, he looked at Zach and goes, you know, Zach, you're a pretty cool guy. And Zach said, well, thanks. And he said, well, you know what? You're so cool. You know what? I think I could probably marry you in a couple years when you get older. And Zach looks and goes, no, you can't. And he said, why not? You're pretty cool. I'm pretty cool. And, and he, was just, he was just goofing with him. And uh, Zach goes, well, I'll tell you why. And he's like, why? Zach looked and goes, because you're a guy and I'm a guy. And God says that guys only marry girls and girls only marry guys. And that was it. And I'm like, oh, boy. You know, I was like, all right, he's got it. But that's because we've started at an early age just establishing some of those biblical principles of marriage and sexuality. Parents, start. Start talking about it because average age now is down to nine and 10 years old that they're being confronted with sexual topics. We need to have these conversations. We need to be preparing. If we're here as believers, we need to prepare ourselves to give a biblical answer. 1 Peter chapter 3, it seems like I come back to that a lot, but we need to... Be ready to give an answer of the hope that is within us. With meekness and with fear, we sanctify, we set the Lord God apart, and we say with, with a humble attitude, not the pious, I'm right, and I hate all homosexuality. That, that's, that is not the attitude we portray. Peter says that is not it is a meek attitude, it is a humble attitude, it is one that I have been saved by grace. I need to graciously be helping others, sharing with them to give them. I need to so I need to seek to compassionately engage in genuine conversations and social interactions with homosexual acquaintances and friends. Some of you have homosexual friends, it's not it's not wrong. It's okay. You ought to be developing that into the gospel. If you're just there to just have a party, you have an end game. You ought to be sharing the gospel. If we're not sharing the gospel and we're not willing to point out sin and we're not willing to talk about the wrongness of of that lifestyle, then we're not really showing love and graciousness at all. A central task of genuine compassion is telling the truth. And the Bible reveals a true message that we must convey. Those contorting and subverting the Bible's message are not responding to homosexuals with compassion. If we're just going to say, oh, it's okay. If they believe that their lifestyle is lining up with what God says. If they believe that it's not a big deal to God. If they believe that that homosexuality, bisexuality, uh, lesbianism, transgender, all, all of the above if they believe that that's okay because we just look and say, well, you know, it's a really tricky subject and God doesn't really, you know, have a whole lot to say. There's only a couple verses. That's not compassion. That is not love. That is not helping them at all. We have a responsibility. Lying is never compassionate. And ultimately, if we believe our theology, if we have the conviction that the unforgiven sin of individuals is, Meet, is meted out and it equals wrath, the wrath of God. And we truly believe that, that ought to compel us to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, to get out and to tell people. So what do we do? We pray. Not for the laws of our country to change. We can, we can still do that. Not only for that. But for the culture of our country to change one soul at a time. To be out, to be witnessing, to be sharing the gospel. We need to understand this is not an argument over what the biblical text says. Again, my goal is not to persuade you that homosexuality is sin. It doesn't matter that I say homosexuality is sin that lesbianism is sin, the bisexuality, the transgender is sin. It doesn't matter that I say that adultery is sin and that fornication is sin. It doesn't matter that I say that pornography is sin. It doesn't matter that I look and say you're lying is sin. That I look and say it doesn't matter that I say that. What matters is that the word of God given to us by our holy and wonderful and majestic God looks and says that is sin. That is what matters. And if we truly believe in the inspired scriptures of God, and if we truly believe that our responsibility is to obey and to follow them, then we must be willing to obey it. Even if you feel the battles of same-sex attraction. You have to fight that. You need to get help. As I mentioned this morning, you may look and say, it's, it's too shameful to talk about. Please, please don't feel that way. If you are battling in this area, please come talk with one of us at staff. We want to help you. You may say, there's, there's no way, Pastor, Art, there's no way I can I can stand before you and say, I'm battling with, with with being gay. I'm here to tell you, you won't be the first one and you won't be the last one. Come and get some help. Get into the word of God, understanding that there is hope that as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, such were some of you, that there was a change that occurred, that you can take the lie that you've been holding on to and cast it aside and you can, get, you can find the hope in Jesus Christ to be sanctified, to be restored. It's, it's, it's there, it's available. Come talk with us, any of the staff. would love to be able to help you in those areas. If a friend comes to you, don't, don't castigate them. Don't push them away. Be a willing blessing. Be a help to them. Talk with them about it. You may look and go, I don't know what to say. I don't know where to go. I put some other books up on this side that deal with with what the Bible says about homosexuality, how to be loving to those in the LGBT community, how the Bible talks about some practical tips for transforming homosexuality. I'd encourage you, come look, get the the book titles, purchase them, but get some resources because like I said this morning, we can look and say, hey, it, it, it really doesn't hurt, so I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go. But when the moral muscle of America blows out, now we need to deal with it. Well, folks, that time's here. We need to, as biblical Christians, be able to deal with this topic in a loving and a compassionate way, giving hope through our Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray that you will take up the mantle along with those of us who are saying we need to do this and be involved and help those who are hurting. God, I pray that you would help us today to be willing to share the gospel, to share your hope. Lord, to not to not look at individuals who may be battling, even in our own midst. Those who have battled with it in the past, those who are battling with it, even as they hear these messages, God, give them hope. Help them to know that, that you say it is sin, but yet you offer freedom from sin. Help them to to find hope and peace and rest through you and away from their sin. Lord, it's so challenging to think that homosexuality is not the only sin in the Bible. There's a whole lot of sins in the Bible, ones that we struggle with. And Lord, help us not just look and say, well, our sin's better than their sin. But Lord, help us to realize that before you, are holy God, our sin is heinous it is vile. Lord, help us even tonight as we as we think about this topic and as sins are brought to our mind, help us to get in our face before you and confess our sinfulness to you that we may be a holy and righteous people who are able to go out and be salt and light to this world. Lord, that's what our culture needs. Help us to be righteous before you. God, thank you for this time. Lord, thank you even that was a, an initial scare. Thank you for the opportunity Pastor gave for me to study this. And Lord, thank you that you're a God who is clear about what you teach, even in regard to sexuality. Help us to uphold your thoughts and your ways in our life. In your name we pray. Amen.